to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. We are going to continue in Daniel this week. And so um, the next rundown is we're going to cover all of chapter 10 this week. And then um, Kyle Murray is going to be preaching out of a psalm next week. Um, and then the next week, we're going to finish up, uh, Lord willing, chapters 11 and 12. Uh, chapter 10, 11, and 12 actually run together in the book of Daniel. Um, there's a lot of kind of mysterious stuff. And so um, we wanted to take our time and go through that. We'll cover 11 and 12 together, which will be very difficult. But um, we're going to look at chapter 10 today. Um, and um, it, it's kind of a chapter where we're, we're having the introduction to this unfold of this vision, this last vision. We know that Daniel so far has had many um, dreams and visions, and um, we've seen that repeatedly through there. Um, this is going to be one, again, that's kind of overwhelming for Daniel. So um, all of us know about spiritual warfare. Um, this is a chapter where God is kind of um, pulling back the curtain to let us see what goes on in the spiritual realm's um, uh, above us or around us. So some people think of, you know, like heaven's up there and hell's down there somewhere. Uh, it's not probably as far as a geographical place like that, but truly a, a different realm, almost as if, you know, I'm sure there's some movies that, that talk about this, like it, it's, it's right here among us, the kingdom of God, but also Satan and his minions are, are trying to fight. And so that's kind of a weird thing. A lot of us would be interested in that, until we could see it. Because then we'd be like, oh, like we're scared of wolves. Like we're scared of, like m m one time Jamie and I were out by the lake and um, we're just standing there and I was looking at this beautiful, beautiful scenery and there's this cliff. And the next thing I know, she screams this high pitch, ah, and just starts running. And I still don't even know. It takes me like 20 or 30 seconds. It was an armadillo. 50, 60 feet away, just slowly waddling through the leaves and stuff. And she's running, stopping, uh, looking back, still screaming. <laughs> and I, I, like we used to go and catch armadillos, but grab them by the tail. And, and so like um, this is like we're scared of those things, right? Uh, there's people that are scared to get in the ocean because of sharks. There's people scared of all kinds of things. And, and, and God here pulls back the veil to let um, us see. There are spiritual warfare going on that we couldn't fathom. Now, we're in Tulsa, right? So you can have a kind of a middle-of-the-road view of that, kind of like, well, I really just don't want to know about it if it's going on. And then we've got our people in Tulsa, and maybe you've come from this background, or you've got family members, like that's where they want to live, right? Like, I mean, they get up in the middle of the night, and they like kick their, you know, kick the chair by their, their bed, and they start casting out demons. Like, in the name of Jesus, do you get out of here? I cast you. And like, they were just going to the bathroom, and they feel like that chair was, that was Satan attacking them. Or they have a flat tire and they can see the nail in the tire, but they're convinced that that was Satan that come and like, you know, took a hammer and uh, just hammered that in there. And so they're, they're casting out demons. And then we've got people more, maybe more way over here on the other side who, um, uh, I, I don't really know what that looks like. And I'm kind of scared or just, it's kind of weird. And I think those people are really weird when they deal with that stuff. So let's kind of just act like it doesn't exist. Well, Daniel 10 shows us you don't have any of those three options. 
that it is more real than we want to imagine. It, it is, is more um, complex and confusing and difficult than we want to imagine. But it doesn't mean that you're left out there to deal with it on your own. That's what Daniel 10 is going to show us. We're going to see some of those things. So um, we love going to Florida um, and uh, the, the movie Truman was filmed. If you've ever seen Truman with Jim Carrey, um, it's filmed in a little place called Seaside. And the whole storyline of the Truman Show is this normal guy who's got a wife and kids, and uh, they're going through life, and he kind of has this little mundane life, and everything's real predictable. But behind the scenes, there's everyone around him is they're all actors, he, including his wife, his kids, his parents. They're all actors. And so the whole city, as, as he's driving through the city and there's people over there doing their jobs and waving and people at the school, all that, they all are actors and they all get to go home at the end of the day and then they turn on the TV and they watch this real-time picture. So it's reality TV before there were reality shows, if you've ever seen The Truman Show. And so it's kind of ahead of its time in that way. He's the only one who doesn't get to watch the show. And so he's responding and doing all these things. And then you kind of begin to pick up on this idea that he's not really content with life, and he's wondering if there'd be something greater, and that something greater has to do with, man, what would life have been like if this would have happened? And they're, they're, they had this former girl that he really was attracted to. At one point, he ends up seeing his dad, who supposedly passed away, but then this guy pops up, and he kind of sees him across a park or something. He's like, that looks like my dad. And so piece by piece becomes, begins to reveal that there's something going on. And behind the scenes, it's this huge movie set, um, the whole thing. And it goes all the way to literally where the, the sky itself is, is a backdrop. Like, and so then he finds out like, oh, this is all false. And so, so spoiler, if you haven't seen it, that's what happens at the end. And he finds out that this is all false. So this is God in chapter 10 here, pulling back the curtain to let us see there's stuff going on here that you have no idea of. Don't be so alarmed. It's, it would be overwhelming to you like we see with Daniel. It truly would be. This is real. Um, but I'm right in the middle with you. I'm completely in control. I, I, I just want you to simply know about it, and I want you to turn to me. I also don't guarantee that this will work out just like you and your little fallible, sinful, uh, comfort-seeking mind, the way you want things to work out. I'm, I'm not guaranteeing, nor am I obligated to make it work out that way. And boy, that, that's really frustrating, isn't it? Like when we start praying for certain things and God, you can make it work out this way, A or B or C. And he's like, I'm not doing any of those, you know? And sometimes I feel like with our life, he just kicks up and he just starts laughing at those. Like, hey, hey, come up with 10, Sankey. I'm just going to sit back and let you be frustrated with all of these because I'm not doing it that way at all. And so we're going to see that. And so we're going to see the four things I want you to see this week um, is the reality of spiritual warfare. We're going to see that real clearly. That may seem like, well, well, duh. But again, you may be in the crowd that goes, it's a reality theoretically, but I don't really want to deal with some of it. I don't know how to. It's confusing. I see the extremes, and I think that's kind of crazy and weird. So we want to see what, what is God providing in that. And so the next thing we see there is the weapons of spiritual warfare. They're both visible and invisible. They have to do with God's sovereignty, but they also have to do with man's responsibility. I can't just go, well, God, hey, I'm going to pray like Daniel did and just let it all happen. That we tend to have that mentality sometimes. Or you're the one who's praying all these things like, God, in the name of Jesus, I called down a BMW for me. In the name of Jesus, I claim the lottery. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I pray that all of us just health, uh, complete health and no more sickness. 
and, and those things, the BMW, the BMW doesn't land in your driveway. The, the $1.2 million home doesn't land in your house. The, the, the immediate health, a loved one goes ahead and dies. And we go, well, man, maybe this spiritual warfare stuff is just off. I don't know what I'm doing. Or maybe God's just off. So we're going to see the weapons. And we're also going to see the outcome of spiritual warfare. We're going to see what Daniel goes through um, just normally, and then the outcome of that at the end, what, what should happen. And then we're going to see also at the end of that, putting those three together. So I just wanted to take some time and look at prayer. What are our, what are our struggles with prayer? What are our issues with prayer? Um, so uh, let me pray, and then we'll dive into reading Daniel chapter 10. So if you want to turn your device there, open the, your uh, Bible up. We'll also have the scriptures up there on the screen. But let me pray first. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for your spirit that guides us in all truth, that also comforts and gives us um, the truth to understand and also to be able to apply. Um, God, help us to be a people who actually pray and seek you and take the time to see you as our answer. Um, we thank you for the gospel. So not only we thank you for who you are and your word, we thank you for the spirit and him guiding us in truth and comforting us. We thank you for Jesus and the gospel that says, if you're a follower of Christ, it may be a miserable life in following him. But at the end, we're going to be ultimately renewed and recreated and spend all eternity without sin and hurt and suffering. And so thank you, uh, our triune God, for um, being that kind of God with that kind of redemptive plan out of this world of hurt and darkness and oppression and suffering and trial. Thank you that just as Daniel sees that, that that's, the circumstances are not the end, the things that we're facing, God, it's, it's not the end. So thank you for being that kind of God who cares immensely. In your name we pray, amen. So um, let's read Daniel chapter 10, and we'll just take it a little piece by piece. Um, and I think that first part I'll just read um, the, the first uh, maybe nine verses. So it says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was, re was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. If you remember um, when um, Nebuchadnezzar came in, they, they took off Daniel and a whole crew of Israelites uh, from Judah, and they changed his name and several of the people's names. So from Daniel, his Hebrew name, to Belteshazzar. And the word was true. So this word that was given by God was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. Now in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. And I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold... A man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. We all know about Euphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. So let's look at that first little section there. So we see that Daniel gets this vision. He, he wasn't planning on it. 
He didn't go out and ask God for it. We know there's been several visions and dreams that God has given in the book of Daniel. And so this first part we're going to look at is just Daniel being more and more aware of the reality of spiritual warfare. And so the two things that I want to bring out in, under that heading, the reality of spiritual warfare, if you're taking notes, is first of all, spiritual warfare may be complex and confusing. So spiritual warfare, when we're going through it, it may be very complex and confusing to you. And then secondly, spiritual warfare may affect our, not only our spiritual lives, but our mental, um, also our emotional, and also our physical capacity as well. We're going to see all of those affecting him. When we're going through spiritual warfare, those may be things that are uh, being affected in our own lives, and we don't realize it. I'm just mad at you guys. I'm just ticked off at my wife. I'm ticked off. My, I'm frustrated with my small group. I'm frustrated. And so maybe there's stuff going on that I'm not even aware of spiritually. And so we need to think through that. And so we're going to see that. But um, I want you to notice this verse 1 is just a summary statement. So if you look at verse 1 there, um, probably after this situation happens and, and, and 10, 11, and 12 all took place, it's just like you writing in a journal. He goes back and starts writing what happened. We believe this was Daniel who wrote this. He goes back to, after he writes all the details of what happened in 10, 11, 12, he probably goes back to verse one and goes, Hey, now looking at it, I, I had complete, I, I did have understanding. So when my first note says, well, Hey, it's confusing and complex. Then, then what do you mean by that? Because Daniel seems to say, Oh, I had full understanding. He didn't have full understanding as he's going through it. That's why he's on his face repeatedly and crying. And like, it's kind of like in John, the book of revelation, like, Oh man, I'm just all worried. Isaiah, all those situations. Um, but afterwards, he's okay because God has renewed him. So it's kind of a summary at the first thing. I had understanding. And all the other visions, if you remember, they did not have understanding in the book of Daniel. Um, they had to get someone else to interpret it for them. And Daniel says here, when, when this one comes, I had complete, full understanding of it. And so just notice that. Um, he says it was a great conflict. Um, the reason that he is in mourning in verse 2 and on, where he's, the reason he says he was mourning for these three weeks is because of the, the, the bad news of this vision. It's an overwhelmingly bad news. They've been ripped away from their own homeland. He's been um, one of the leaders under um, Babylon and the Medo-Persians, and all these people have come in, and now the, the Greeks are about to come in, and then the Romans, which fits with those earlier visions, if you remember the statue and the tree earlier on, the visions in Daniels and those previous chapters, there's the statue and the four kingdoms that were going to come in, and then there's the tree and the four kingdoms that were going to come in, so Babylon had already come come in, ripped them away, taken them off. Then the Medo-Persians come in and conquered Babylon. And now they're under that situation and they're, they're waiting on Alexander the Great. And all they know is whoever that guy's going to be, it's going to be horrific. He's going to be a terror. And he was. And so then after that, then the, the, the peaceful Romans, right? Who, who were creative in their ways of cr creating suffering and punishment, things like the cross. Um, and so, um, it's bad, bad news. And he's weeping and mourning for his people. He's thinking the news didn't get any better. And I, I fully understand it. Um, I want to go to this section before we even kick off into those two areas of it being complex and confusing and how it affects our mental and physical emotional capacities. Um, first of all, um, I want to deal with this verses five and six. It's the most controversial issue in the chapter um, for about 24 centuries. Brilliant people. Um, for the centuries have, have discussed who is this person that so, shows up there. So let's look there in verses five and six. Um, 
And you may read over and just thought, oh, I, I thought that was pretty clear. Um, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz. And I was joking about everyone knowing what Euphaz is because his context, his people are like, oh, yeah, Euphaz. We know what that would look like. And we're like, what's that? Is that a person? Is that a place? Um, with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist, his body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches. I want you to notice God's intentions. I want you to notice Daniel's intentions. So you always think through author's intent, the, 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 the human author, his intent, also God's intent. Notice the words that he gives there. He, he, he describes a face and he doesn't say it was, he says it was like this, just like in the book of Revelation. Notice language like that. Um, so what does that make us think? There, there's things like metaphors, there's similes, um, there are language devices that the author, when he's writing it, he expects us to interpret it and listen to it and think about it under symbolic language. It's not exact and precise. So it doesn't make his, his mouth was flaming fire, really. So we're not get to heaven, and Jesus, every time he talks, you know, we're ducking down because he's shooting out flaming fires every time. That, it, it's, it's powerful, and it's mighty, and it can consume you in, in, in good ways. And so fire is looked at that. And so when you read this, notice it will say something like, his face and it was like. And so if you count the likes in there, it's a whole bunch. So it's not trying to be exact and precise. When we look at verses 5 and 6, we have the question, is this Jesus? Here, here's our options. Is this Jesus? Is this a theophany or a Christophany? Um, or is this an angelic being? So over the years, hundreds of years, everyone will debate. Um, so first of all, if you say verses 5 and 6 is an angel, then that means when you get to verse 10, that could be the same angel's hand that comes and touches Daniel. Because in verse 10, we're going to see, and then a hand touched me. And, and then we find out that the hand's touching him, begins to talk to him. And as we get further in the chapter, it's going to say, and I, hey, Daniel, I'm letting you know I was fighting with this king of Persia, this satanic um, uh, uplord, this guy that is really high up in the rankings of Satan's um, angelic forces. His name's the king of Persia, and I've been battling him, and I was getting defeated and Michael, one of the archangel, one of the highest ones, he had to come and help me. And so this angelic being that puts his hand, unless you say, that's Jesus. So some people go, that was Jesus. Now, why, where do they get that? Well, first of all, if you go with the Jesus, um, you've got to look at um, the reason that the people would say that is we, we know that um, in chapter 3 of Daniel, in the fiery furnace, famous story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, most scholars remember, and I, I, I hold to this also, that back then there was a one that was standing that looked like the Son of Man in the middle of that. And so a theophany or a Christophany means, and this may be, this may be blowing you away, my mom to her deathbed still didn't believe this, but you got God the Father, he's invisible, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? Holy Spirit's going to always be invisible, God the Father's going to always be invisible. Jesus the Son, what did he look like before he came as baby Jesus? in 30 or in, in zero AD. Well, what did he look like then? So there's several periods in the Old Testament where scholars believe the wording means that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, decided in the wisdom of the triune God to take on flesh and show up looking more than an angel. 
He took on flesh and, and become more than an angel. Um, and so he, he was actually in the flesh. So you know, there's several places in the Old Testament like this. So since there are some other circumstances, just like in Daniel 3, in the fiery furnace, it, most people will believe that was Jesus with them. That's a beautiful picture. Um, very difficult for them to understand that. Remember, this crowd did not understand Jesus, the Son of God, was going to come and die on the cross and be born by a virgin. He didn't understand all that. Uh, Daniel, Israel, Judah, what were they looking for in Messiah? They're expecting a powerful military leader to come on the scene, destroy the Romans, take back over, establish what? A land and a people, and now they're king in, in the same lineage of David, right? That's what they're waiting on. They didn't expect a weak, suffering babe being born in a place that he shouldn't have been born in and then being humbled and humbled and humbled and gathering people and his, his message was going to be love and his kingdom was going to be about love, not the sword and not power. They didn't see that coming, right? We wouldn't either. We, we, we think that we would, we wouldn't either. And so um, in that, is this Jesus? Also, Revelation um, 1, 12 through 16. So listen to this. This is definitely Christ. All, everyone agrees this is Christ in Revelation, and it's a similar description of this in Daniel 10. In, in Revelation chapter 1, this is why some people say this is a theophany. So theo, God, often just meaning a, 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 a true depiction of or a, um, a, a physical appearance. Theophany or a Christophany, okay? And so in chapter 1 of Revelation, then I turn to see, so this is John, the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the middle of the lampstands was one like a son of man. Remember in the Gospels, Jesus refers to himself over 48 times as the son of man. It looks like a son of man. Clothed a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. chest. That's what Daniel just said. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. And again, same language. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in the furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun. So remember, symbolic language. We don't expect Jesus, the, every time we see him from this point on, he's whole, every time we see him in his right hand, he's got seven stars, right? He's got this sash. Fire's coming out of his eyes. Like, that's not going to be him. He's not going to be at the table with us. And, and what John is, is, was taken up into heaven and giving the best I know to explain, it was an overwhelming sight. Like, he's not normal. You don't have to fear him in the way of he's going to hurt you. But we have to be just a reverence. Like he is holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy other than us. He is not like us. He's not like Schwarzenegger or The Rock or whoever's big and bad to you. It's not just he's a little bit bigger than angel. This is God Almighty. So we, we should just drop down in reverence to him. So some people say this is very similar to the language in Revelation. Um, also, Paul's Damascus Road experience, you know, in the book of Acts, when Paul and his group are on the Damascus Road, Christ appears and, and, and like knocks him off his horse. He's blinded. Remember in that situation, all the other men, they didn't see the vision, right? Same, similar situation. So uh, you can see the ties in that this could be Jesus, okay? If you say it is Jesus, you've got a little difficulty on the end of later on, he says, 
uh, the same hand that touched him and told him, hey, Daniel, I've come to you. You've been praying. I've come to answer these prayers and give you a word from the Lord. I wasn't able to handle the king of Persia. And then there's actually kings of Persia, plural. Michael showed up and I was able to get free and go past you. I personally don't think that Jesus in any form is going to be weakened to the point where he can't deal with um, this king of Persia. Um, so I, I just, even as a second person of the Trinity, before he came in physical form, especially in that case, like, I mean, he just shows up and like he could just, we're done with this. Go ahead, Gabriel. <laughs> and so um, that, that's why some people would land on this may not be Jesus. Um, so when you think through that, don't miss the point of the vision. What's, what's the point of the vision? So, so when you go to gospel community, you go to small group, or, or do we talk about, well, hey, let's raise our hand and, and divide the room. Do you think this was Jesus or do you think it was an angel? That's not the point of the story. So we've tried to discuss it as we've gone through the book of Daniel. Um, uh, we've tried to repeatedly look at I, I want to warn us from the sin of spiritual pride. Um, I don't agree with you guys over there. That's ridiculous. Can't you see this is Jesus? Uh, here's Revelation. Here's this. It looks the same. Well, in Ezekiel, um, there, there's a picture of an angel that is described almost exactly. There's going to be lots of people in white linen, supposedly, I guess. And so um, in, in that, there's other angels that are described the same way. So wh why would I be ticked at you and angry at you and think I'm better Christian and better at the Bible than you because I disagree on this verse on whether it's Jesus or whether it's not? Well, we've missed the point. So, so, so when we think through that, do you see the type of sinful pride and the type of mindset that is always thinking through, you know, hey, if they believe that, like all of us over here, if they believe that, we, we can't really trust them, can we? They think that's Jesus. That's not the point of the passage. God could have made it so clear. So in our tribe of people that want to value deeper understanding of God's word, we have to be so careful of, of not trying to um, pick hairs and, and hate, and you would say, oh, I would never hate them. Well, that may be how they feel if, if, we, if we do those things. That's not the point. So what's the point? Hey, Daniel, hey, you're greatly loved. I want you to know you're greatly loved. So as we go on to this, just remember that. So when we get to small group and stuff, the point of it is not to talk about um, just those elements. That, that's interesting. They go have coffee and, and argue and fight with somebody and throw, the, throw it in their face and get up and stomp out. Cuss at them or something. That, that, that's fine if you want to do it. That's not for the church to do, right? Um, so I want you to know that um, don't fall for that alluring spiritual pride to be right, to be the only one who's right. Um, it's not even the point. God purposely didn't even tell us on so many aspects. And so we want to be a place that holds to solid truth, but is so grace-oriented and loving. I'll walk with you for five years disagreeing with you on this. Now, if you're going to say you're going to beat your wife and treat your wife, I'm not walking with you for five years. Me and some friends will take you out behind some place and do something, and maybe your wife will be safer, and we'll bring some other situations in as we scream the gospel at you. But, but like other things like disagreement over some of these matters don't matter, Right? And so let's be a loving place. And so that's a difficult thing that people have literally had argued. There's books on just those, that thick, on, on just whether that was Jesus or not. I don't know why they do that. So verses 5 and 6, it does clarify that spiritual warfare is real. Um, notice with Daniel here, he says, 
in the, in the, the this part after this, when he's mourning this great conflict, um, Daniel goes into this, and I want to hit this uh, aspect of that it's very confusing. I think many times when we're going through spiritual warfare, we don't recognize it's spiritual warfare. You just think that your wife's in a really bad mood. Your husband's being a real big jerk. Um, your, your boss is being pitiful. Um, your cars just broke down. And so it, that may be some of those things, but there may be spiritual warfare that's tied to that. Don't forget, so always remember, this is very helpful. Three tiers, three areas. You got Satan and his minions. I don't believe Satan cares about Sankey Lynch at all. Satan is big deal, probably dealing with like presidents of companies not worried about Peoria and 61st Street. So Satan and his minions. Then we have the world system, a fallen system, right? Because of sin, it affected everything. People are sick. And, and people are, are crazy. People act horrible. Um, all those things. We have a fallen system in this world. That, that's another area that we're praying about. But then also, the one that's usually the most common, it's your heart. It's your own heart. There's where the spiritual warfare. We want to go casting out demons and in the name of Jesus. And, the, and, and like, hey, you got a pitiful attitude toward your family. There's the spiritual warfare. And so we, we do those things sometimes, or we're around people that do that. And so remember those three areas. Start with your heart before you start casting Satan out. Uh, Satan probably doesn't know your name or my name. Like, I'm not big enough potatoes for him to mess with me, right? And so, um, but there are demons all around. So what about your heart, though? Maybe it's not a demon. Maybe you're just a jerk. You need to think about the gospel and how you treat people and stare at Christ. So we need to think through that. Also, the second part of that is it may affect your mental and physical and emotional being. Notice with Daniel, he says in verse 9 there, Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. In verse 8, but right before it says, My radiant appearance was fearfully changed. I was alone and saw this great vision. No strength was left in me. So can you see what's happening? So it's affecting his physical body. Remember the story of Job? Did Job have any idea what was going on? He was having all kinds of things. His family destroyed, all of his own, everything that he owned, ripped away everything. And so those things happen, and, and God doesn't show us sometimes. Um, this vision is in no doubt special. It's direct revelation to Daniel. You and I aren't getting that, right? We're not getting direct revelation. Hey, Sankey, here's what's going to happen at the end of the world. Go write about it and add to the Bible. Like, you probably want to run from that guy, right? If they are telling you, hey, here, I know exactly what's happening. Mark this down. This is exactly what has to happen. Write this down as truth. That's usually a false prophet. And, and we're kind of in a weird time period when those things are happening. The easy thing about false prophet, go back to all the stuff that we've been going through for the last year and a half or two years. Man, when, when it doesn't happen, 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 it's always a false prophet. It's always a false prophet every time. So just know that. Um, be aware of spiritual warfare. And then be aware of the effects that it's having spiritually on you and your family, of the effects it's having um, mentally, emotionally, all those things. So we've got to be a people that, that take that from that. Notice, secondly, um, the weapons of spiritual warfare. There are some that are visible. There are some that are invisible. And look, let's look at verse 10 now. It says, and behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. So again, still spiritual warfare in this prayer time. Here's an angelic being, and it sets him trembling. It's, it's a good guy. And he said to me, O Daniel, man who is greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. 
So when we talk about the weapons of spiritual warfare, what I mean by that is this is what God provides in us. God's plan, I know they're going to be in this fallen world, human beings. I want their hearts. I want worship and devotion, and here's what I'm providing for them. And I want you to see the first thing that God says, it's me. I love you in the middle of this. My faithful love. Hey, hey, Daniel, you're 85 years old. Horrible news. It's not changing. Dangerous, dangerous armies are coming to destroy Israel. Completely wipe them out. I know it's already bad. Daniel, look up. I love you. The word from God is you're greatly loved. Why would that be important at this time? Why would God, in the middle of this, this thing, when he's trembling, all this says he's being overwhelmed by all these things, bad news is about to come. Why is the first thing God goes, hey, I'm right here with you. God loves you. You're greatly loved. 85 years old. I don't need that. I, I, I knew that back when I was in, in my 20s, and they took me off this horrible land. In my 30s, when we were going, the next king that came in did all this horrible stuff. As I watched tens of thousands of my Israelite people being murdered and murdered, and horrible things happening to children and women, all these in 40s and 50s and 60s. And for whatever reason, God's showing us that 85-year-olds need to know the God of the universe loves you as an individual. You're a failure, Daniel. You sin. Great effort. Thank you for trying to be spiritual. I love you in the middle of your failings. No matter how bad you've blown it, I love you. So huge aspect of spiritual warfare that we don't think is God is saying, I love you. I am present with you. Um, so that's the first thing that we see about that, that spiritual warfare. Um, I believe most of us would rather, again, talk about and debate whether it was Jesus or an angel. Or here's another passage where they were dressed this way, where it's like this, and, and instead of, hey, here, here's something to talk about, small group. I don't, I don't receive love, and I don't give love very good. That's a good one to talk about. I don't want to talk about that. Like, can we just go outside and like watch the kids or something? Don't want to talk about that because that shows up and manifests itself in a hundred different ways, right? Anyone ever been through divorce? Everyone, anyone ever been through divorce parents? Everyone had friends betray you, stab you in the back? Hey, Daniel, you're, you're greatly loved. In a world full of sin and hurt and betrayal, you're greatly loved, Daniel. And so the three things that, that he wants to get him to see, why do you think that is thrown in here? Why at this point, at this point of his life, after all he's th- suffered through, why do you think he would need to be reminded you are greatly loved, Daniel? Number one, I have on there just, I think there's a slide. Um, yeah, you're, you're not alone. Because I think all of us, we know theoretically that God's with us. Anyone ever felt like, but man, I, I'm, I'm alone. Theoretically? Good God, practically, feel all alone. And so and a lot of pastors, a lot of churches probably wouldn't say that. They would just teach us like, I just want you to remember, God's always there. And I think people are sitting out there going, he doesn't feel like it. Do you see my life? Do you see my kids? Do you see what's happened in my marriage? Do you see what's going on in our life? Do you see this person's dying in my family? Do you see what happened with my job? Do you see this crazy COVID thing? Do you see what's happening? Where's God in this? Oh, God's just good. He just, just. And I think the reality of God here is going, I understand where you're at. The Psalms, I understand where you're at. It's okay to turn to me and say, what is going on here, God? 
And what's his word? I, I see what's going on. You're greatly loved. And I see you continuing to fail and sin. Hey, you're, you're greatly loved. You don't have to act like that anymore. You don't have to keep going back to those patterns. You don't have to keep falling into sin that you keep doing. You're greatly loved. So you're not alone. And some, some of us say, hey, Sankey, I don't think that I really struggle with that. And give me 50 minutes with you. Just one session in counseling. The second thing I think that happens is um, God has not abandoned you. It's going to feel scary as if God is not in the picture at all. Again, you may say, hey, I don't think I really struggle with that. Again, you, you had divorce anywhere in your family? Did you grow up in places where like, you kind of had to survive? Like, um, just like with brothers, sisters, family, dads, stepdads, moms? Betrayal, abandonment. That's what it does. So my dad died 22 years ago. My mom's been dead for five or six years. This had most loving, never any abuses, any of those things, none of those things. But there's no one to talk to back there. Everyone has kind of this peg in the ground, and there's kind of this elastic band. And no matter where we go, Australia, Africa, there's this, here, here's where home is. It's a weird feeling when home's been gone, and now you're trying to create your own home. So I've tried to have two or three times to have men that I kind of pursue and say, hey, man, would, man, I just don't have something, someone like that. All three times, God said, nope, nope, nope. I'm enough. Well, I just want to learn how to disciple. I just want to learn how to be a better father. I want to learn how to be a, a better man. Sure feels alone, God. Sure feels abandoned. You're not. That's just feelings. I love you. I'm right here with you. And again, if you've, you've been through those things, um, the symptoms, man, I'm not a very loving person. If you're, if you're harsh, if you're pretty angry, if you're hurt, if you're easily offended, man, those are defense mechanisms that we all do, right? We all do those things. And God is there theoretically, but harmfully distant and harmfully uninvolved. And Daniel 10 is screaming, it's not that way. It just feels that way. And then also just God not only sees you, he's present with you through this. He loves you in the middle of it. Again, we don't um, usually slow down to deal with the heart of that. We, we, we don't want to talk about that in small group, the stuff I just discussed. But we could sure argue and drive off going, I can't believe that Mike and Anna think that was Jesus. That's ridiculous. If they're off on this, I remember six months ago, they had that one book they tried to suggest us. I don't trust any of them, anything from them. That one song he let us in, that's what we do. So we don't make the connection sometimes. We run to our idols. It goes all the way back to the very core question at the heart level. Why doesn't God love me? And so God, spiritual warfare, you've got me, and I love you in the middle of this. Didn't promise you it's going to change. It's not going to be easy. I'm at the point in our life where um, people around us, were, so that we all know that we're, leaving this, we're living in this kingdom around this world, so we're sojourners. So just this week, been pondering the idea. We, we, it's easy to say. Some people are like, oh, that's a kind of cool name, oh, especially if you define it. So you're kind of living counterculture, like the, here's the world, but you're, you're aliens and strangers, aliens and strangers. Everyone else wants to live this certain way, and you're trying to live by this book and trying to do this. 
And man, God is showing me everyone around, a lot of people around you, they're just living differently. They have different rules, different expectations, different expectations for their kids. And we're trying to teach our kids that, hey, I know it seems weird. I know it's hard. And I know that everyone is getting to do all these things. But we're living differently. And you're not going to win and win and win and win. And you're going to be looked at weird and made fun of or all these different things. And so, but this Jesus guy is worth it. He's worth it if you can just keep your eyes focused on him. He's worth it. Don't believe these lies. So we're sojourners, aliens and strangers in the middle of spiritual warfare. And God planned it. God knew it was going to happen. And he was going, I would like to see these people even become so loving that they'd be willing to suffer and suffer and suffer, to slap Satan and his minions in the face, to slap sin in the face, to show that I'm worthy of their love and devotion. Now that's spiritual warfare. I don't have to come with power and the sword. I want love to be the currency that this is built on. So when it comes to trying to discern truth, um, so first of all, the, the, the first one is God. The second one, the second weapon is humble, heartfelt prayer. Look in verse 12 there. He says, fear not, Daniel, for from the very first day that you set your heart to understand and you humbled yourself before the Lord, your words have been heard. From the very first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself in prayer. When you think about your prayers, is that what you're doing? You are setting your heart. Like, God, I am not going to stop until I have clarity from you. How long would you give? Six minutes? Ten? An hour? This is 24 days later for Daniel. And then the angel comes and says, hey, from the very first moment you did that, God was caring in the middle of that, and he started responding from the very first moment that you set your heart. When I look at our prayer, when it comes to trying to maybe discern truth or to, to find out what we're supposed to do on particular matters, um, how much do we pray compared to how much time we spend scouring the Internet looking for a blog answer that will tell me a, a quick fix? Here's what someone said to do. A podcast. We want the quick fix. We want quick trip for everything. Church, um, fixing our kids, fixing our marriage. We want one or two or three um, quick points instead of, man, I'd love to see you humbled and praying for 25 days, crying out to me. And it's not that I'm waiting 25 minutes to punish you. There's spiritual warfare going on between my answer and you. So this is what this reveals. This angel says, since the very first day that you started praying, you turned your heart and you were humbled, I have been coming towards you. God immediately responded. Look what it says there. Your words have been heard. And I was sent towards you. And I've been in this spiritual battle. And so think through your prayers. Um, when it comes to trying to discern how to handle situations, um, do you really spend time in humble prayer? Seeking understanding from God. Sometimes it's one minute or less in prayer. 20 hours talking to other people, posting stuff, searching. One minute in prayer. That's probably pretty characteristic of the church in our day, right? Because all the resources that are instantaneously, your phone is your answer, not the God of the universe. When it comes to discerning truth, what do we do? What do we turn to? How many days in a row are you willing to go to God expecting and humbly learning through the Spirit? Five days and it seems like silence? 
We've seen repeatedly and heard just hundreds and hundreds of stories, but in our own lives even, just this reality, all sorts of horrific things that happen, all sorts of relational problems and church problems in people's lives that are tragically devastated. Most of the time, for the people going through it, little prayer. There's little prayer. But man, I, I, I'll just go and have all this agenda against you. And we've seen it. Um, there was a period when we were at one, one place, and, and, and Mike Brown actually, actually had went and he wrote a letter to all the leadership just saying, hey, guys, 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 we just heard a sermon about loving and forgiving and, and praying. With, that was what we were exhorted to do. Here's a letter begging like six men. Can, can't we just get together and pray? So three of us had been kind of begging. Can't we get together and meet and pray? And one guy at the top said, how dare he? I had, I had the same letter. Mike sent it to each one of us individually, like a letter, old-fashioned letter, like not digital. Um, and uh, some of you don't know what that is. And so, uh, and I remember it was laying on my desk, and one of the other leaders walked in and saw it and said, like, oh, did you get one of those letters also? I said, yeah. I go, hey, so what are we going to do? He said, oh, that ticked off so-and-so. He saw that as a threat. He said, he forbids us to get together and talk and pray. Just, man, prayer. How, how much prayer goes in? When spiritual warfare is going on, just be honest. Are you a praying person? And that's why we're going to look at that at the end. Maybe we could all consider some humility and love and grace that comes for many hours and days of prayer. So 60 days, feasting and fighting. That's why we're doing this. How are you doing on that? Are you fasting on Wednesdays with us or fasting another day of the week? Or are you praying more? Are you, are you turning away some meals? Are you praying together? Or is it just going to, oh man, we're into July now, aren't we? So I, the reason we did this is not to like get a neat trick at the end, like you stick your quarter in the little bubblegum machine and open it up and like you're a four-year-old. No, we really believe God's wanting to do some stuff, but we've got to be ready for that. And we don't know what that's going to look like. I feel like there's already been a couple of situations with people where they were sent kind of as sheep among wolves. Months and months and months and months of discernment and conversation and things. But you got to protect sheep. You have to protect sheep. You have to be in lots of prayer. Not just giving in to people's whims or wants, things that people want and demand, protecting the body of Christ. Seemingly losing, but, but we've we, we got to fight for that. So during spiritual warfare, the third weapon is God's angelic forces. Notice in 12b, I've come because your words. So this being says, I've come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, he came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. So now you've got this picture of this, it's probably Gabriel, some angel. Um, that, so Gabriel's fighting the prince of the king of Persia, and then the kings of Persia. And so I want to show you, look at the, I've got a slide here of the, um, I think Clayton, I've got a slide there of the, the, just the military levels, organization and military forces. So sergeants, he's over four soldiers. So I, I never went in the military. And so uh, I didn't know all these. It's kind of fascinating. Staff sergeant, over 16 soldiers. That's one squad. If you go all the way down, so a lieutenant, he's over 44 soldiers. A lieutenant colonel further down, over 1,000 soldiers. So when you see those stripes that we don't know what that means, that means that there's 1,000 people that he's over. All these different levels. And so, and I bring that up to show that this is not, we didn't get that, we didn't come up with this idea. 
This was God's idea. God probably set up his angelic forces in levels just like this. And so when Satan broke away with one third of the angels, what do you think he did? Here's levels of authority. Here's levels of power. So here's Daniel. And Daniel's going, hey, there was the prince of the king of Persia, a satanic high-ranking lieutenant or whatever. Don't think that I mean the same words. I don't think that he were having to use the same words. And so uh, we can argue about that later on. And so then there's uh, the um, levels of the kings of Persia. And, and this Gabriel saying, I was fighting this one and these others. I was left alone. So he's pretty strong with the prince and then these other kings. And then Michael shows up. So look at the beauty there. So God uses spiritual warfare. God uses his angelic beings. So when we're thinking about the spiritual warfare that we're in, you've got to remember God loves you and is present with you in the middle. You have man's responsibility of prayer, that you're crying out, humbled, seeking the Lord in the middle of it, even if you don't know what to do. And then also there's angelic forces. Sometimes you start praying and, and God has already sent an answer. God is doing something. But, but you don't see the results yet because there's spiritual warfare going on. 20 days, 90 days, we don't know what that is. So I hope you see that, um, the beauty in that, but also kind of the confusion that that causes with us. Um, look in verses 15 through 17. Here's the outcome of spiritual warfare, and I won't spend long on this, just um, prayer and fasting is difficult and painful, but it requires discipline. So the outcome, if you're going to be committed to this and you're going to do spiritual warfare, if you're going to go in and, and pursue prayer, it's going to be difficult. And we think it should be just easy and no effort. It's going to be hard. You're not going to get immediate gratification nor immediate changes. So it's when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man, again, interpretation-wise, some people think, oh, is this another angel? Is this another one? He touched my lips. And then I opened my mouth, and, and, and he spoke and said, and I said to him who stood before me, oh, my Lord, and don't get confused when it says my Lord, that, that in the, in the um, Hebrew is not Yahweh, it's not uh, Lord Adonai, it's not Lord meaning um, God, it's meaning someone like a master who's over me, not God. So don't get confused that he's saying that. Some people would say, oh, maybe that's why they think it was Jesus. But very clearly in the Hebrew language, that's not it. Oh, my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, oh, man, greatly loved. Fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. So I want you to see a connection there. Spiritual warfare, if we're humbled, go to God, seeking God in the middle of it, bad news, bad news, hurtful, difficult stuff, discipline time, more bad news, but you're strengthened and renewed. From what? the word that was given from God. So you have a, an issue of God's word coming to strengthen even in difficult situations. Well, thank you, I don't really get into God's word. And thank you, I really don't pray. You're probably going to be really, really weak and desperate then, right? You're probably going to be really, really, really confused when spiritual warfare is around you. And by the way, it's around you at all times. We just think about it on the crisis moments. 
So you're going to be really confused, not know what to do. You're going to probably make really bad decisions. You're probably going to be acting out of hurt and behaving out of hurt and sin in the heart instead of following the spirit and truth. So you're treating other people out of your hurt instead of treating other people out of wholeness. Life still sucks. Things are difficult. Nothing's easy. Still broke. Still got six people, uh, sick people around me. But I can still respond out of wholeness and truth and love instead of acting out of all that. If we're a person who's humbling himself, well, I think I don't read, I don't pray, you're probably not going to be renewed. You're probably not going to be um, having uh, times of, of growth and maturity. So just think through that. But notice what this guy says, this angel. Do you know why I've come to you? And then he doesn't tell him. But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. That's a great picture of prayer, isn't it? Hey, did I tell you why I come? I'll see you later. And so like that, that's, that's what prayer feels like sometimes. Um, it, remember, 10 goes into 11 and 12. So, but now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. Now we're talking about uh, a leader, a spiritual leader in the spiritual forces, the demonic and, and probably was preparing the situation, preparing years and years and years for the Greek, Alexander the Great, to come in. Greece, Alexander the Great. So um, most people believe that the reason it says king of Persia, kings of Persia, prince of Persia, um, the prince of Greece, that there are spiritual um, beings over areas and regions. So that's why I've said 61st and Peoria, downtown Detroit, areas of Chicago, New York, the Middle East. You think there's not some, some big, bad spiritual forces of oppression, spiritual darkness? Why do missionaries go and land there for two weeks or two months and they have to come home? Just because the, the food's bad? I mean, that might be me. They don't have enough ice. That's, that's a reason for me to leave, but like real spiritual people, like there's spiritual forces going on. There's spiritual oppression. It's not just a kid's game. 61st in Peoria. Look, look at the area. Look at the diversity. We're far off from the, the, the beauty of God's um, diversity coming together in, in black, white, yellow, green, all different peoples of tribes, nations, and ethnicities coming together to love God together. But that's a desire of his. And so we're very divided. There's all kinds of oppression here, all kinds of sinful things going on. So don't think that there's not some spiritual beings around here doing that. Um, when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Most believe that Michael was the prince over, um, he was um, dedicated specifically to the people of Israel and that area. And um, there's biblical places like that. So um, I have some stuff on Michael, but I'm not going to go into it. Um, but now let's finish up just talking about prayer. I believe our first issue with prayer is silence. Anyone ever prayed about extremely serious, extremely important things, poured your heart out and you, you felt through, through that or after that, there was just silence. That's our first difficulty is, is just silence. And I, there, there could be 20 of these or 10 of these, but these are definitely ones that I know I experienced. So silence is one. It's the reason we don't pray. Um, Daniel 10 reminds us you're not alone 
Silence, yes, but silence does not mean God is not with you and not in love with you and not working. The gospel reminds us Jesus came to be with us. So it's not silence. God spoke after 400 years of silence. The gospel reminds us God is not silent. But for Daniel, 24 days and, and months before that, silence, silence, silence. And the second one, our issue with prayer is aloneness. The silence leads us to believe we are all alone in this. It's up to me to fix this. It's up to me, and boy, we love it. We love it, we love it, we love it, because I love me. Remember, you are what you love. I love being a fixer. I love thinking that I can just have a good 30-minute conversation with you, and I can fix this. God, I feel so good. See how I change, I mean, how God changed their life? We don't realize it. That's what we're doing. Aloneness. Man, I've got to be the one that works this out, to talk this out, to straighten this out. Um, the third issue with prayer is God's love, the silence that leads us to believe we're all alone, added to not seeing immediate change or immediate answers, leads us to feel a cold distance, a lack of intimacy. Um, and we've heard all along growing up that this God loves us and is close to us, and yet that is not our experience. Because you prayed for four minutes. Well, it just doesn't seem like, and nothing changed. You prayed one day or two days. And you expected, boom, all the consequences of my horrible decisions would be just be removed. That's not how God works. I'll be with you and walk you through horrible decision-making and consequences. So our fourth issue with God in prayer is God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. So if you've been around you know about God's sovereignty, the question becomes, well, if God knows what's going to happen and God's in control of all things, why would I pray? Why would I pray if God's going to let things happen? We see in Daniel 10, that's just the opposite of that. Your prayers are catalysts. It's God not knowing. It's not that God doesn't know. God's waiting for it to matter to you. God's waiting for it to matter in a deeper way to you because what he wants out of that is not just so you can see a situation fixed, but that you would see him as the provider, that you would draw closer to him. You get him in prayer, not a, just an answer. Not just to change circumstance. He's going, I created you. I wanted to be with you. God with us. Emmanuel. What's all eternity? Me with you. You are my people. I'm your God. That's what it is. I know it's difficult. I know I'm invisible. I know it seems like silence and distance is there. That's what I want. I want you to turn to me and believe that I'm sufficient for this. Our prayers have effectiveness in the spiritual realms and in our lives. So, as we see in Daniel 10, the reality of spiritual warfare, we see the weapons that God provides in spiritual warfare, we see the outcome of spiritual warfare, this renewal that can come, we should see very clearly our need for prayer. So again, I would just ask you, are you a person of prayer? What, what if just eight over here and eight over here said, I'm just going to, I've never done this in a life, or maybe there was a period for, you know, six months or something when I first came to Christ, but I want to be a prayer warrior. I, I want to truly be a person of prayer. And I'm not saying that if you start your day at five o'clock, that you need to work up, wake up now at 3.30. It may be four or five times during the day. Maybe it's 10 or 15 minutes at the beginning, but then you're, you're going to God three or four times during the day. Because your job, when, when I was at UPS, it was 3.30 start time in the morning. And I'd read about George Mueller and these guys that spend four hours in prayer. Well, I need to go back to 11.30 at p.m. to be able to keep four hours in prayer to be a good Christian that God could use. 
And so think through what that looks like for you. Are you a person of prayer? Is the motivation there that you get God in prayer, not you get to fix stuff or feel prideful being about a, a prayer warrior? So um, as we close, let me pray for us. If you're a person that is um, really struggling, got a lot of stuff going on, I mean, talk to someone else afterwards. Go to them. Man, go into prayer. Talk with them. Um, eventually, when we have um, some more leaders and things, at the end of days like this, we would have some people just provided to be able to um, pray with you. So that's still here. So pull someone aside. There's some major things going on, some crisis, some things you need help with. Pull some people aside and talk and, and say, hey, would you just step aside and pray with me? Um, let me pray as we close, then we'll go to the Lord's Supper. Father, we are thankful for um, your word. We're thankful that um, you are present and that you are loving in the middle of these things. We're thankful that you are um, the God who cares, that you've got angelic forces fighting on our behalf, um, that you're not um, far and distant and removed and uncaring and indifferent, but that you are compassionate and in love and graceful and patient and long-suffering faithful in your covenant of love with us. Would you change our mind about you through Daniel 10? Would you change our mind about your love for us and how we receive that and how we maybe love or don't love others? Would you change our mind about prayer through Daniel 10? Would you help us to see the reality that's there? And we thank you for this time. We pray that you'd give us convictions, repentance, confession, and renewal and rest in you in that. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we go to the Lord's Supper, um, we um, here at um, Sojourn, we practice open communion, meaning that if you're visiting with us and uh, you're in a good place with the Lord, that you're not running from another church, that you're not in church discipline, that you're not just in the middle of pattern sin that you think is okay, um, that you are able to do that with us. So some churches say that it's closed communion. Closed communion just means that if you're not a member like on their list, then you, you're not supposed to partake of the Lord's Supper. We've went to having these little cups and they have both at the top, there's a little thin layer at the very top that has a wafer. And then the second layer is a, a little juice thing. And so um, we partake of those. And so I'm going to give you just a, a moment to pray. And then I'm going to let you do that as families. And we're going to do that. And then uh, Brownie will come back up and lead us in a song. Um, and then Tyler will come and give the announcements. But um, as we go into that, um, we always want to take the, the consideration of the Lord's Supper. Uh, if I'm in the middle of just pattern, pattern, pattern sin, then what I'm doing is I'm trampling the blood in the body of Christ under my feet as if I don't understand what it costs God. If you're a person that says, man, God, thank you, or thank you, I've been so far removed from the church. I'm so far out. Maybe, maybe there was times in your life when you were baptized before and you, were, um, you made a profession of faith several times um, and you go, I, I really just don't even know. I would encourage you not to partake and consider crying out to the Lord for just solid salvation. Believe and trust in the Lord now. Not to partake of this, but to call out to him for salvation. And if you're going, hey, I've got some things I've went through this week, some bad choices and some sin, I need the, the, that reminder, that renewal. That's what Jesus gave us this for, to go, it's not based on my perfection or my own purity this week. It's based on your purity and your righteousness. And I take this as a reminder. We do this in remembrance, proclaiming to myself, my own heart, the blood atones for all my sin. His body was broken. So that's what we get to participate in. We don't take it lightly. We want it to be celebratory, though.
So I'm going to give you a moment to pray, and then you guys can go and get the uh, elements, and then just go back to your seats or stand as a group or uh, take it as couples so we don't, we don't pass the plate and we don't do it that way. Um, we do it differently every week, but we do do the Lord's Supper every week, so please take some time and pray.